0: Hello from the children of planet Earth. 3, 2, 1, 0. Liftoff. We have a
1: liftoff. Hi, I'm Dr. Alan Duffy. And
0: I'm Dr. Amanda Bauer.
1: We're astronomers.
0: And this season, cosmic vertigo is going to the extremes.
1: Like a galactic year is when our sun orbits around the Milky Way once.
0: That feeling you get when you realize it's only been one galactic year since the dinosaurs showed up on Earth? That's what we call Cosmic Vertigo.
1: Five, four, three, two, one. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one, end the test.
0: So I just got two kittens. And I was trying to judge, you know, how long are these cats going to be around? I know this is a little bit of a morbid thought when you're just getting kittens, but I learned that the oldest cat, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, is over 38 years old. Oh, wow. (laughs) That is a long time.
1: It's older than me. It's older than us.
0: I know. (laughs) That is an old cat.
1: Yeah, that cat has seen some things. The rise of the internet the issues of social media, that cat's <laughs> all over it. It's kind of incredible the age range that creatures can experience. How long can you last? And for humans, I was kind of amazed to discover it's 122. It's the oldest verified age by Gene Calment in 1997. And again, thinking of all of the different events that that person has witnessed and has seen within their lifetime, 122 years on astronomical timescales, well, forget even astronomical, on biological timescales. I mean, (laughs) there's a tree near Have you ever seen this tree? The Methuselah?
0: I didn't know that there were named trees to go see. So no?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it looks a lot like a tree. But this is a bristlecone pine in California's white mines. So it's kind of incredible that almost five thousand years old, which is an extraordinary idea that we can now hurl back all the way into essentially the time of the pyramids, getting my archaeology dates right, I think there. And this tree was getting going. It's it's an incredible glimpse of just how long these things can last.
0: Well, have you seen Jonathan?
1: What's Jonathan? <laughs>
0: Jonathan's the world's oldest known land animal. It's a giant tortoise. Jonathan is 183 years old.
1: Oh, happy birthday, Jonathan. (laughs) Okay, and I assume he looks wrinkly and he moves slowly, just like newborn (laughs) tortoise.
0: Every other tortoise. Today, we are talking about the longest thing, so their duration. How long do they last?
1: The actual time it takes for the event to occur. It's kind of incredible. So animals can obviously live a enormous range of ages, of length of time, but so too can stars. I'm sure we've mentioned this many times. The idea that massive stars or rock stars, they live fast, die young, use up their fuel in, you know, a couple of million years, all the way to dwarf stars that really eke out their fuel reserves over potentially trillions of years, we think, because obviously we've never seen one end.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they live longer than the life of the universe so far, so we don't actually know how long they last, but trillions of years probably.
1: Taking it back to Earth, and I'm a big fan of sci-fi and the exploration of space and imagining that people one day will travel between the planets and maybe even the stars, all of that takes time. Very, very long amounts of time. What's the longest we've ever spent in space? To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man
0: has gone before. Humans have spent a lot of time in space. The longest total amount of time that anybody has actually been in space cumulatively is a, a Russian cosmonaut who has spent two and a half years total in space. 879 days that is a long time. And I think this person had like a family, and it's not anything unusual, but two and a half years of that time was spent wow. in space.
1: That's incredible. What was the damage?
0: So that's the total, the longest continuous stay in space. So that record was set over several different trips. The longest continuous stay was 438 days, so well over a year straight. Uh, this is another Russian cosmonaut. and. That really starts to wreak some havoc on a human body. We've been studying what spaceflight does to astronauts' bodies for a while. We know that muscles start to atrophy, and your bone density starts to decrease. Your visual sense starts to decrease. So you, you aren't really able to focus as much, because the fluid in your eyeballs kind of <laughs> sloshes around, and it takes away from your ability to focus in the way that you can when you
1: mm-hmm. You literally wear glasses.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
1: A lot of these astronauts who are, you know, perfect physical specimens, they're always seemingly having to wear glasses up in space. I always thought it was so weird. I thought they had to have 20-20 vision. It's because they did, until the effects of the gravity was removed from their eyeballs. And yeah, they had the very strange fluid buildup that messed with their ability to see.
0: It's fascinating to travel to space, but also kind of a scary reality of what happens to your body, things that you don't have any control over just because of gravity.
1: those times that we have to undertake these huge stretches or lengths of time because space is big. To get that sort of sense of scale, we're going to try to dial in some kind of an idea of length of time. So if you wanted to, say, go around the Earth in a commercial flight, that's about 36 hours. That would be, I suspect, incredibly unpleasant.
0: Not a terribly productive flight if you are just going around the Earth for 36 hours back to where you started. <laughs> but I'm guessing that's not the point that you wanted to make. I wonder if jet lag would be as bad. I don't know.
1: That's a really good point. I think I was doing it for science. But uh, yeah, now that you mention it. An easier way, of course, to go around the Earth that would take less time is, of course, to go faster. Now, we're kind of limited in the Earth's atmosphere. The faster you go, the more drag force you experience. The harder it is to punch through the air. You can go supersonic like Concorde, like some of fighter jets, but it really becomes hard to go much more quickly. So one way to go faster around the Earth, and hence take less time, is to go to space. So the International Space Station is traveling at the incredible speed of
0: five miles per second. Hey, that's fast, no matter what.
1: Okay, from memory, that is 7.7 or 7.8 kilometers per second. That is fast. It is really rocketing, literally. And it's doing this at an altitude of about 400 kilometers above our heads.
0: And that's uh, 240 miles or so.
1: <laughs> Enjoy that one, American listeners and Myanmar. And what was the other two places?
0: Belize, Myanmar, Liberia, and the U.S. There you go. We will enjoy that.
1: Well, we all agree on the units of time, and that space station (laughs) is orbiting Earth, giving the astronauts a sunrise every 92 minutes, which is quite a remarkable thing.
0: Yeah, it's a perk of traveling in the International Space Station. You get 16 sunsets and sunrises a day. Not bad.
1: So those are the kind of typical timescales, events for us we experience on seconds and travel takes several hours and our experience of our planet, well not unreasonably, the year is longer than day, but that doesn't always have to be the case. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. There are some very strange places in our solar system alone where length of time doesn't quite make as much sense. But actually from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly wobbly, timey-wimey stuff.
0: It's intuitive for us because that's what we're used to we grew up with an earth day so every 24 hours we spin around once and then once a year is the trip that the earth takes around the sun but not every planet is like that so venus is an interesting one because a day is actually longer than a year and in addition to that it spins backwards relative to the other planets The sun rises in the west and sets in the east, and then it rotates around the sun in the same direction. So it takes 243 Earth days to spin around just once. But it only takes 225 Earth days to go all the way around the sun. So that means that the sun rises two times during each year on Venus, even though that's the same day.
1: What? (laughs) I am so confused by that final (laughs) statement. That is awesome.
0: It takes Venus 225 Earth days to go around the sun. But as you move farther out in the solar system, it takes longer and longer and longer. So by the time you get out to Jupiter, it takes 12 Earth years to go around the sun once. Uranus, you're up to 84 years just to go around the sun once.
1: And then this potential, Planet Nine, at the outer edge of the solar system, and fingers crossed this is now confirmed by the time this goes to air, but I suspect it won't have been fine just yet. That could take anywhere from 10 to 20,000 years to go around the Earth once. The entirety of modern civilization. And that has basically just had a single year on Planet Nine.
0: And that's. Pretty long. I mean, it takes a long time for those objects way outside of Pluto to go around our sun, but that's not the longest we found. Around other stars, there are planets that take even longer than that. And the longest one we've been able to measure so far is an exoplanet that orbits around a star that's a little bit smaller than our sun, as most exoplanets do. This is a gas giant that's about 2,000 times farther from its sun than Earth is from our sun, and it takes 80,000 years for this planet, this alien world, to orbit around its star.
1: That is incredible. Uh, I guess it is obviously dynamically gravitationally bind, but that is so far. It would just, like, you just sort of can't really conceive of that as being, oh, yeah, that's a system. It's a bind system. But that's the scale of astronomy.
0: Its star is even smaller than ours, so it doesn't even really look like it's a big sun in the sky. It's just kind of a little dot out there. No fun eclipses on that planet.
1: So as we talk about the lifetime of humans, of animals, of weird and wonderful creatures, and then the length of years that planets may have, we can also talk about the lifetime of those planets, because planets are born and they definitely die. And that's essentially a consequence usually of stellar evolution so for example our sun will begin to swell up a few billion years in the future it will eventually engulf the earth and goodbye earth that will essentially mark the lifetime or the age of our planet as eh, about seven billion years give or take by that point yeah it's unlikely to get much older
0: turn us into a burning ember Thanks, (laughs)
1: Oh, thanks, Son.
0: <laughs> My favorite part of the evolution of our solar system is that once our Sun starts to, to puff out its outer layers, this red giant Sun's habitable zone, that region where liquid water can exist actually moves farther out in the solar system
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so at that time the planets that are farther out from earth once we become this burning ember uh, planets that are 10 to 50 times farther away from the sun will be able to have liquid water which we think life needs so saturn uranus neptune pluto these all live within that radius away from the sun but it's not likely that we're going to go and jump on a gas giant (laughs) and try to survive there. But a lot of these outer planets have icy moons. At least they're icy now, when it starts to heat up out there, that ice could melt and we could find some really interesting, lots of different worlds inside of our solar system that have the potential to have liquid water.
1: This is all about the longest whatever, so let's zoom out. We're leaving the solar system, events happening tens of thousands of years for the orbits, potential lifetimes lasting billions of years. When we talk about our Milky Way of the sun's motion itself around the galaxy, that's an entirely different scale or length of time. A single galactic year for our sun takes about 230 million Earth years. So one revolution of our Milky Way, we would have had the dinosaurs just beginning to walk on the planet. And then it's back in the same position and it's us and they're all gone. And that's nothing special. (laughs) The universe does this. This is absolutely fine for it. There are structures that have stretches of time that are simply unimaginable to us. And this isn't even that long. We're going to get there. But just as a mind-blowing concept, Last time our sun was here, in this side of the galaxy, the dinosaurs were around.
0: And if you consider that our sun's only 5 billion years old, in terms of galactic years, it's only been around 20 times. It's a youngin'. Oh,
1: it's off to uni, Stellar University. <laughs> So our Sun will continue to live for around another 5 billion years, eventually becoming a white dwarf star. The smaller stars, as we've described, red dwarfs, they're the most common, essentially because they have less mass than our Sun's. You can make a lot more of them for a given amount of mass, and they live an incredible amount of time, longer, much longer than the universe has existed today. But the white dwarfs, the end state of our sun, they will persist. They will persist for fantastic stretches of time. They will slowly cool the residual heat from their formation. That's why they're glowing white hot. That will eventually all fade away and eventually become black dwarfs, just silent, degenerate cores sitting in space. And I didn't mean that, obviously, in a derogatory sense. They are degenerate in the sense that they're literally made of degenerate matter. (laughs) And that has its own pressure that essentially causes it to remain in equilibrium or balance with its own enormous gravity. But even these particles, even protons, can eventually decay. And that essentially can set the longest possible thing. But I'm jumping ahead.
0: We don't know that protons actually decay. This is all a theory.
1: Well, we've tried to measure. We've looked for proton decay and because there are so many atoms in, you know, a glass of water, you can have a chance to see something that won't occur for oh my goodness. Should we jump into it?
0: Yeah, go for it.
1: It's pretty it's it's pretty crazy. Okay. So we have set a time limit on the proton decay. We've looked at essentially a giant vat of water of atoms. And gone, okay, of the trillion, 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 trillion atoms, I think. I've heard that right.
0: (laughs) Throw in another trillion, just to be safe.
1: Just to be safe, yeah. Of all of those atoms, one should decay on average. Even if the lifetime of the decay is impossible stretches, impossible numbers of billions of years. With so many atoms, something should decay and we should be able to detect that. And we've never detected it which sets the lifetime of any individual atoms decay to be something extraordinary. We expect that the lifetime of white dwarfs formed now, or even, heck, even at the start of the Big Bang, it doesn't really matter. It's not that much time relative to how long they can live for. They should be hanging around for 10 to the 40 years. 10. And 40 zeros of, I just- 10 to the four zero. Well, it's 10, 10 and then 39 zeros after, but whatever. It's <laughs> incredible.
0: So all I'm picturing right now is a bunch of theorists with a cup of water sitting on a table with like cameras on it, <laughs> just mm-hmm. <laughs> waiting for a proton to decay.
1: <laughs> and then not seeing one and then getting very excited. about Not that. seeing yep. one. Yep. So if the sun's lifetime, of 10 billion years was reduced to a second Okay, compress all of that that's not a second then if we had the entire history of the universe keep that clock running all of those seconds which were all equivalent to an entire sun's lifetime then you keep going and do that for 250 more entire histories of the universe in a row that's about the time when these Degenerate objects: the brown dwarfs, the white dwarfs, the neutron stars. When they finally decay, that is an inconceivable length of time. But it's not the longest.
0: It's not the longest. So that just means that protons have gone away. They've decayed into kind of photons and leptons. And the only thing that we've got left at that point are black holes. Black holes take even longer than that, to decay. This happens through Hawking radiation, slowly, 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 over 10 to the 40 or 10 to the 100 years. These black holes dominate the universe. They're really the only things there. And then they finally start to decay. And we get into the era that we've discussed a few times now, which is the heat death. And this is 10 to 100 years after the beginning of the universe.
1: I don't even know how to conceive of this. I just gave up trying to make this one relatable. <laughs> it's so many zeros alone that I'm blown away. And yet this isn't even the longest thing.
0: Yeah, I think now we're just having fun with big numbers. This is like, how big can we get something to actually make some sort of physical sense or that we can put some boundaries on it? And that's like 10 to the 100. So there's the heat death. Yep. Done with that. What's next?
1: Then you just wait and wait and wait. Time is ticking, it's getting ever longer, there's nothing really in front of you. The occasional positronium atom forms that's the size of the observable universe today, those kind of cool things we've spoken about before. This is a very empty, boring universe, but there is a tiny, tiny chance, thanks to quantum mechanics, that we could see spontaneously a fluctuation that there could be a essentially a new universe born in front of us. Quantum mechanics doesn't allow you to say that something is exactly zero, you instead have the idea that there's always particles popping in and out of existence and then annihilating with each other, essentially returning that energy back to the vacuum. So, if you do that effectively, if you wait for long enough, you can imagine instead of just boring virtual particles, you can have entire. Universes form in front of you entirely by chance. What is the chance of an entire universe spontaneously arising in front of you? Well Sean Carroll worked this out back uh, in 2004 and the chance is 10 to the minus, oh this is a nightmare, 10 to the power of 10 to the power of 56. So let me just say that again.
0: (laughs) So that's very small. (laughs) (laughs) a very, very small number.
1: Yeah, a 1 in 10 chance. Yeah, a 1 in 10 chance is 10 to the minus 1. A 1 in 100 chance is 10 to the minus 2. What we're talking about here is 10 to the minus, and then, not 1 or 2, but 10 to the power of 10 to the power of 56. This is such an impossibly small number. In fact, Sean, I think, in the paper states this is the smallest positive number. physics now if that was the chance then how long do you have to wait well roughly speaking it's the inverse of the chance so in other words sooner or later there is a chance this will occur and you just have to wait for 10 to the 10 to the 10 to 56 (laughs) years and that could be seconds months days years it doesn't really matter that big number at the start is so vastly larger than the units you could talk about nanoseconds rather than years it doesn't matter
0: you could talk about Planck times, I mean, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter.
1: It's it's inconceivable.
0: So to think about this, we've talked quite a bit about the, the heat death of the universe and that kind of being the end. But what if there is this random fluctuation that could induce things to happen again? Particles to kind of come together, gas to maybe form stars, to form galaxies for the entire universe as we know it today to kind of come back to its current state. This is an interesting thought, and a paper that was put out by physicist Don Page a while ago, and this is officially the award for using the longest time ever published in a paper. (laughs) And the paper itself, it talks about information loss and black holes, and he kind of goes off on consciousness and things like that. That's not important. I think he was really trying to play with big numbers. (laughs) He really wants to see how big is a big number that we can calculate. And it was an interesting exercise in thinking about all of the possible combinations of things that could happen in our universe, including these random quantum fluctuations. There is a finite number of ways that things can work out. And so with that finite number of ways that things can happen, he calculated the amount of time that needed to pass before our universe arrives back at the exact point it is right now. You know, if that's a thing that it does. (laughs) So, That time is actually called the Poincaré recurrence time. And he calculated that to be, for any general universe, even more complicated than our universe, that time is 10 to the 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 the power of 1.1 years. So this is the biggest number, (laughs) the longest time, that has been published in a paper. Congratulations, Don Page.
1: Yeah, and I think it may well remain that. I love, by the way, the precision of the 1.1 at the end of that. It's like, okay. I know. Right. <laughs> well, overdoes it a little bit. Overdoes it.
0: I mean, you can nitpick at that <laughs> all you want, but I think it's a, it's a fun exercise. And the kind of intriguing thing, or maybe the sad part about it, is there's no way for us to ever measure if that's going to happen. There's no instrument that could record this happening. There's no way we could see if something, if the universe did come out of the heat death in some quantum fluctuation and with this amount of time to come back to its current state of the universe. There would be no human form to read the measurement on that instrument. So these big numbers are really cool. The long time frames are pretty amazing, but it's all theory. We can't really test it.
1: So that is, again, silly scale of years or doesn't really matter the units again could be nanoseconds could be plank times who cares that is such a vast number it just dominates if we restrict ourselves so not say the largest potential universe which is what that enormous number is and and instead just say i want to wait a certain amount of time for this moment to have reoccurred i want to sit in a studio with Amanda recording this podcast, how long do I have to wait for just my little patch of the observable universe to reoccur? The Poincaré recurrence time for that is just 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 10 to the 2.8 years.
0: Oh, that's nothing.
1: (laughs) Right? And that's all we'd have to wait for this moment to have happened again. And again. (laughs) Now, the length of time of this recurrence time is so much longer than anything else that it is absolutely near guaranteed that you would have a quantum fluctuation that would restart the universe before this recurrence time occurred. It's, in fact, it's it's, it's just entirely theoretical. There's no way to ever know But I do get a sense of just
0: one. how long this time might be every time I hear the song Macarena because, God, that song lasts forever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, it's so true. I hate it. Oh, Macarena. I've got a fun little link between the fastest and longest. And we have the idea that if you move very quickly, then you'll get to your destination, well, in a shorter amount of time, right? Mm -hmm. It's the inverse length of time and going faster. Except when you go really fast. And that's because of... Einstein's relativity, and in particular, in special relativity, you have something called time dilation, which is the faster you are moving, the slower your time appears to tick relative to someone who isn't moving.
0: So let that be a lesson to all of you out in the traffic, driving your cars. It doesn't matter (laughs) if you go that much faster.
1: That was a public service announcement by Amanda Bauer. This is... We're talking like you have to get close to the speed of light to notice this.
0: Yeah, we're like 90% of the speed of light or quicker is really when this kicks into gear. Yeah,
1: And if you're getting that fast to work, you should not be honking your horn. You should not be worrying about getting stuck in traffic if you're ever nearly relativistic. But if you go ever closer to the speed of light, then this time dilation, this slowing of your clock relative to everyone else becomes so much more dramatic. So if you wanted the blink of your eye to be seen by an external observer to last as long as their year so literally you're glacially frozen slowly blinking your eye you would have have to travel at let me get this right point nine 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 four four. <laughs> times the speed of light. That's 15 nines and then the 4-4. Four four. That's how close to the speed of light you have to go for the blink of your eye to last as long as a year. So if you wanted to get something to last longer, just go faster. Paradoxically.
0: That's all the Cosmic Vertigo we've got for you this time.
1: I'm Dr. Alan Duffy.
0: And I'm Dr. Amanda Bauer.
1: Our producers this season are...
0: Sarah Mashman, Joel Werner, and I'm not Carl Smith. In fact, I am definitely not Carl Smith.
1: <laughs> Lucky you. His hair's too good. <laughs> what what <Cool>. little remains? <laughs> oh, really? It's on the way out oh, geez. one day. I've got to become a cat person, like just caps and beanies and stuff. Oh, I, I thought you said a cat, cat person. person. Yeah, me too. Well, I'm already one of those. So. Are you going to like take the cat fur and oh, yeah. transplant like, it? A little cat knit. <laughs>
0: Our science editor is Jonathan Webb, and our sound engineer is Mark Don. In the next episode, this happens. I wasn't a very good chemistry student, I'm just going to say that up front, but I did not make anything explode with the kind of rapidity that, say, TNT explodes with. (laughs) So that's good. Everybody can be happy I went into physics and not chemistry.
1: I'm just going to point out there are bigger explosions in physics than there are in chemistry. But...
0: I know, but I'm not creating any stars in my lab. <laughs> so I think that's a good thing.
1: Yet, Amanda, <laughs> yet.